Have you been ever made to go to worship? Have you ever made someone go to worship? You know what I'm talking about? Get up a time to go to church? Have you ever said, this is my house, and if you live here, you're going to do what? Go to worship? So the story goes like this. Mother goes into her son's room and says, you're coming to worship. Oh, Mom, I don't want to go to worship. Mother said, yes, you're going to worship. It's time to get up and go to worship. Mom, I don't want to go to worship. It's time for you to get up and go to worship. Mom, I don't want to go to worship. Yes, son, I always have this argument with you. Time to get up and go to worship. And they've had this argument a number of times. And finally, the mom took a bucket, went to the sink, filled it full of cold water. And she's done so before. And says, you don't get up and go to worship. I'm going to dump this on you. Oh, Mom, I don't want to go to worship. Why not? I don't like them and they don't like me. Mom, give me two good reasons why I have to go to worship. One, you're 55 years old, and two, you're the pastor. Now go to worship, okay? (laughs) Anyways. What do you like or dislike about worship? What do you like the most? What do you dislike the most about worship? Ever thought about that before you come into God's house? What do you like and what do you dislike? So about two years ago, I joined Planet Fitness, and every Friday they have free pizza, and Mondays, I'm sorry, Tuesdays they have free pizza, and Mondays they had bagels at least before COVID, hopefully they're going to start that up. And so I go there faithfully, and I have free pizza, I eat the bagels, and other times I buy a beverage, and I sit there. And so I got pretty upset that I wasn't losing weight and getting in shape. I did that for about a year, and I told just wasn't doing any good. And so I wrote a letter to the manager at Planet Fitness, and I'm very disappointed. I'm not losing any weight. I enjoy your pizza, and I enjoy your bagels, but nothing's changing. And then finally the manager wrote back and said, have you used any of the machines? Oh, that's what that's there for. Yeah, have you lifted any weights? I mean, have you ever gone on the treadmill? Have you gone onto the Stairmaster? No. Then they recommend that I might want to what? do that if I'm serious about weight loss, if I'm serious about getting into shape. And they said, even have a trainer there. Oh, so Planet Fitness is more than free pizza and bagels, okay? If you have to put in the effort if you want to what? Get something out of it. See, being a Lutheran is hard. Why do I say that? Because if you're going to be a Lutheran, you're actually going to have to use your what? Yeah, you have to think. You have to do some mental gymnastics. You have to lift some mental weights. You're going to have to focus. You're going to have to do some critical thinking. If you want to be a Lutheran, you're going to have to use your brain and think and focus and listen. That's hard for us because we're used to having things dish out at at us and to be entertained at a fourth grade level. Thinking and reasoning is not something that we're good at in our culture. To be a Lutheran is going to be very difficult to listen. And so the woman at the well. And so the woman at the well... Um, was there by herself because everyone in town knew who she was and what she did. And she was there by herself. And so Jesus chased the disciples away. Go into town, give me a $5 value meal from McDonald's. I need to talk to this woman. And there, Jesus and the woman had a heart-to-heart. And Jesus got her to the point he wanted to. He pointed out his sin to her. And she said, Lord, I must go and make a sacrifice For any faithful Jew, if they sinned against God, they had to make a sacrifice to atone for it. And she realized that by her activities and her unfaithfulness to marriage, that she was sinning. And then Jesus said this. Can you read that with me? Or it says this. Jesus, the time will come when those who worship me will worship in spirit and truth. Jesus said this. You want to, there's come a time when you don't have to go to the temple to make a sacrifice 
You can worship me in spirit with a repentant heart and truth here in my word. For worship is the worship of a repentant heart who believes God's word. It's just not an outright thing with a sacrifice. Worship me in spirit and in truth. Talking about worship, King Henry VI. He's a son of Henry, King Henry VIII. You know, we sing the song about, I'm Henry VIII, I am Henry Henry. That's his son, King Edward VI. Sort of a unique king. He reigned from the time he was nine years old to 15 years old. That was his reign. Um, it wasn't the best kingdom. He wasn't the best king. Uh, he had a lot of difficulties and a lot of political problems. But one thing about Edward VI was he was a devout Christian. He's a devout Protestant. And he always worshipped in church. And when he worshipped being the king, his attendants and cabinets would worship with him. And other people who had business in the court and, and with him as king would worship as well. And the sanctuary would get filled. And King Edward VI, being rather a sharp young man he was, he said, how many people are really worshipping here because they want to? Or how many here are worshipping me because I'm here? And so he told the priest, the next worship service I'm not going to be at, I'm going to tell that to everyone else. And so the next time he came and talked to the priest the day after worship and said, how did worship go? And the priest said, nobody was here. The only reason those people were going to worship was for who? King Edward VI to show off. Uh, they maybe they were made to. They, they were forced to. They were guilt-tripped. They had another agenda. So I'm going to ask you now, so why are you here today? Have you been made out of guilt? Is it nostalgia? It's just something to do on Sunday morning. Why are you here today? Don't tell me. Tell it to God. Matter of fact, you really don't have to tell it to God because God knows our what? Our heart. Read the verse with me, beginning at Wood. Would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. God knows the secrets of the heart, why we worship. And his desire is that we worship him in spirit and in truth. Israel in the Old Testament was the same way. They were sort of like the cabinet and the politicians in King Edward's sixth reign. And they had their own agendas to worship, maybe to show off to others, maybe it was just a thing to do, something they're familiar with. And God called them out. What God said is, you come to worship, but your heart's not with me. Just going through the motions, just showing up maybe to check it out. And so God calls them on it. So you can read that with me where it says, the Lord says, the Lord says... These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. He called them out and said, when you come to worship, it's really not you. You're just saying the words. You're going through the motions. I see the heart. I know what your heart is. He says, you're just worshiping with your lips. It's not from the heart. I want you to worship me from the what? Heart, I want you to do some weightlifting. I want you to get in the treadmill. I want you to sweat and share your sins. I want you to focus on what's being said. I want you to think, even if it pushes and pulls you. I want you involved and I want you engaged. She called the Israelites out on that. See, worship is not this. Worship is just not formulism. If I do the right things the right way, it's fine, even though my heart's not engaged. Worship is much more than formulism. Now, formulism has a point in worship, but it's not the only reason we worship. Worship is not based on feelings. Well, I like it when I cry and I laugh hard and all that stuff. That's really not worship. It can be entertainment. And worship is not based on what? 
traditions. And I'm going to say it three times. Dr. Martin Luther said that there's nothing wrong with traditions, it's the wrong use of traditions that are bad. It's not traditions that are bad, it's the wrong use of traditions that are bad. I'll say it again. Traditions aren't bad, it's the wrong use of traditions that are bad. So what do we do at the reading of the gospel? We stand in honor of Jesus. What do we do during the words of institution? We stand in honor of Jesus' own words. What do we do sometimes at worship? Some of you even bow out of respect for the Lord's Supper. We kneel in reverence to receive his body and blood. What do we do in worship? We have traditions here, but all of our traditions point to something significant. I still wear my collar as a sinner who speaks the word of God. Our crosses here, there are 13 up here. I counted them. Just don't count them during my message. Thank you. They show the significance of us in Christ crucified. Everything here, the tradition has a reason. There's a reason that the baptism font is there because that's where our life in Christ began. We're not against tradition. We're against the wrong use of tradition. The story is told about a little girl and she used to watch her mother bake the Christmas ham. And the mom would get out the ham and she'd cut off the last three inches and she'd move it aside and she took the ham and put it in the pan and she baked the pan for the Christmas dinner. The little girl said, Mom, why do you cut off the ends? And the mother thought for a minute and said, I don't know, let me call your grandmother. So they called up her grandmother and said, Mom, remember when I was a little girl and you used to watch you bake the ham for Christmas? Yeah. I always noticed that you cut off the ends of the ham and you put them away for further use. Why'd you do that? And the mom said, I don't know, let me call your mom, let me call my mom, let me call your grandmother. So they called the great-grandmother and said, remember when I was a little girl for Christmas dinner? used to watch you bake the ham and you always cut off the ends. Why'd you do that, Mom? And the great-grandmother, the mother of the mother of the daughter, said, well, you see, back then, your, your grandfather and I, your, your father and I could only afford a pan that big, and that was the only size of a pan we could put the ham in. Know what I mean? There's a reason for that tradition that people lost what, what they're doing. Every tradition here has a reason. If you don't know it, explore it. Why we stand why we say the Apostles' Creed. Every tradition is based on a meaning. It's meaningful. So worship is just not that. But what is worship? Well, worship is this, what God does for us. Now, if you come to my Bible class, I'll ask this question. What does God need from you? Say it. What does God need from you? Nothing. He needs nothing from you. Now, true, he desires our worship, but he needs nothing from you. What do we need from God? Go ahead, say it everything. God needs nothing from us. He gives us everything we need. Worship is what God does for us. Worship is triangular. Well, what is meant by that? Worship is God speaks to us. He speaks his word to us. We speak it back to God. And then we speak that word to who? One another. The service began in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He spoke to us. We have responsive psalms. God speaks to us, we speak back, then we speak to one another, the same thing with the creeds. Some people say, why can't I worship at home by myself? Well, if you worship at home by yourself, you can't speak God's truth to one another. I'm not sure how God's speaking to you in your home. Sure, you can open up the Bible. But worship is triangular. God speaks to us, we speak back to God, and we speak God's word to one another. Worship is also Trinitarian. How's that? We adore God the Father who authored salvation. We can repent to God the Son who accomplished salvation. And 
we confess God the Holy Spirit who applies salvation. It's Trinitarian. You know, in worship, every time we hear the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, reminds us of what? Baptism. It says, glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, reminds us of what? Our baptism. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, to make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his favor upon you and give you peace. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, baptism. It's triangular. It's what God does for us. And it's Trinitarian. That's what worship is. Worship is God is deanced. What's that? Well, does anyone know the German word for God? Anyone know? Gott. Dienst means service. God is dienst. God's service. Now, since COVID came along, we sort of put away our hymnals. But if we do worship out of the hymnal, at the very top, it says divine service. Divine means God's God's service. It's what God's doing for us. God is dienst is God's service. Divine service. Let me ask some questions here. What's the best age for a person to begin to be involved in worship? Now, three services, three different times. I'm not going to ask you. If you want to, you can throw it out. What's the best age for someone to begin to learn how to be involved in worship? Two, three, five. I see a three. Five thirty. I heard infancy. What did I just hear? Any age. Yeah, I heard that at five thirty. At the eight o'clock, someone said four. I'm hearing at the 9.30, someone said three. I hear three. I hear any age. Yeah, any age is really great. Why? Well, let's just, let me just pick the age three. A three-year-old can learn to say the Lord's Prayer. If you work with them, if you pray every night. A three-year-old can say the Apostles' Creed, if you work with them. Even a two-year-old can say this, the Lord be with you. A two-year-old or a three-year-old can learn to come to the communion rail and do what? Cross themselves. A three-year-old can come and learn what it is to stand and sit. A two- and three-year-old can understand that what the pastor is saying is important, even though they might not comprehend it. So I would tend to lean toward a younger age. What's the best time for children to be involved in worship beginning about three years old? Teaching the Lord's Prayer, teaching the Apostles' Creed. They can say, Lord, be with you. They can partake in other parts. They can even start memorizing some of our hymns of praises, like this is the feast and other things like that. Now, once again, worship is something that we grow into. I know what it's like. My wife had little kids. We had, she had twins. She brought Cheerios and she brought Fruit Loops, and once in a while she still brings them for me, okay? I mean, all right? I understand that, but we still teach our children about worship to be what? Involved in worship. What's our question? Why do I feel bored at worship? Were you like me at Planet Fitness and just sat there? Are you a pew potato? Well, if you're a pew potato, it's going to seem what? Very boring. Actually engage yourself? See, when I was a kid, I found church really boring. Matter of fact, I asked myself once or twice in my mind, whoever thought this up, could there be anything more boring until I learned and grew? You see, I grew up watching, who is it, uh, uh, the Roadrunner with Coyote? And I watched the Brady Bunch and I watched commercials and I, my mind was really numbed and dumbed. I wasn't used to coming some place where I actually had a what? Think. You know, no offense, if worship's boring, is it because that's too interesting for me? I'm not used to being engaged. I'm not used to thinking. I have to think through the songs. 
We're actually going to have to use what? This. Members who come to Bible study say they find worship much more meaningful. Well, they're growing in the faith. They would. They understand the intricacies and the nuances of it. Yes. If I find worship boring, am I involved with it? Am I dug into it? So it's a blessing of being in God's house. Receive his benefits. Renew our hearts. Redirect our lives. And what? That we might, like Israel, who came with their lips only in that, that their hearts, that we might be engaged and repent. That we might see this as a place where we're blessed and renewed. That we might see it's something far more significant than just another hour. What did God say? God's message to Israel and us. Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord, and the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. It's my goal that everything we do, our church's ministry, our cross-training, our school, everything we do teaches people that right here is God's activity to us, for us, through us, right here in God's house. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it what? Holy. The blessing we receive, the blessing of his cross. So how about this for a closing thought? Read it with me. Oh, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And all God's people say... Amen.